And uh, so we're proud for that. You know, we always try to encourage the kids to give their heart and soul and everything to the Lord tonight. Where are you, girl? Oh, okay. Amen. Where's your mom and daddy? There's mama. Where's daddy? He's coming. All right. Praise God. Good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Amen. Man, this week has been just tremendously busy and just over the top. So I asked Dr. Dave to fill in for me tonight. So y'all are in for a treat. He always brings a good word in the house of God tonight. Amen. So praise God for that. Good to have Brother Richard and Miss Penny with us tonight. Amen. Bless you and your family. Amen. Don Horner and then was down there singing. I said, well, some days you can have Don Horner. It don't bother me. No, I'm just kidding. Don't tell him I said that. Did that guy look like a young Don Horner today up there? He looked like a young Don Horner. I said, boy, the young Don there, boy. Boy, that prodigal son was amazing today. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. And uh, if things don't work out with Chris Ledoux's son, maybe we'll have them back for the fall festival. I tell you what, if I told someone today, if I could sing, I'd sing just like that guy because I put my whole heart in it, Jay. Sunshine. Y'all going to get this one day. One day y'all going to get this. Amen, amen. Good to be in the house of the Lord. Richard, you come over with something in prayer. Our men come tonight and take up our offering. Kylie, you come with them. Come, come young lady. We're going to introduce you, and you're going to sing your song right after Richard uh, opens in prayer tonight. Love you. Praise God for you, brother. Everyone bow your heads. Go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come for you this evening and praise you, and thank you so much for the wonderful things you're doing here at Cana Creek Cowboy Church, Father. Father, I've been looking on Facebook a lot lately, and that, those barrel racings are getting awesome, Father God, with all the crowd, Father. I thank you for what Brother Bobby and Miss Sonny brought, God, and it's continuing on, Father, and I just pray that you'll continue to bless that event, Father. Father, please be with the bull riding each week, Father, and let that continue and grow strong in your name, Father, and let us, Caney Creek, be able to just introduce people to you through that ministry, Father God, and just let it be used for you, Father, and as well as the team ropings and everything else that goes on, Father. Father, I thank you so much for the uh, beautiful and successful ladies' revival that they had this weekend, Father. I saw all the pictures and postings. It was just amazing to see that happen, Father. Father, I just ask you tonight to come and join in on this service, Father, and let your anointing fall on this building, Father. And let your presence be felt in each and every heart, Father, today. I just pray that each and every heart is open and receptive to the message that Dr. Dave has, Father. And Father, I ask you to be with Miss Little Kylie, Father, this evening as she brings this music, Father, and ministers to each and every heart in your house tonight, Father. God, I praise and I thank you so much for just letting me be a part of this church, Father, and letting me extend its love beyond its boundaries here on Caney Creek, Father, and letting us extend our love, some, your love somewhere else, Father. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Yeah, Kylie just set it up there.
king of everything, the one who taught the wind to sing, the source of the rhythm my heart keeps beating. And they say you can give the blind their sight, and you can bring the dead to life. You can be the hope my soul's been seeking. I want to tell you now that I believe it. I want to tell you now that I believe it. I do. That you can make me Well, praise the Lord. Good job. Good job. Well, stand with me and let's take a minute to greet one another as I'm getting wired up and get uh, my stool out here. Step out from where you're at tonight and uh, shake hands with at least six people. Tell them God loves them and you love them and you're glad they're at the Cowboy Church tonight.
Brother Mike, am I on? Yes, sir, Doc Dave. Guess How do I turn this off so I can use the other mic? You can use the other one if you want. Why don't you pull me down back there, and then I'll use this mic. Okay. Well, it's always good to be home in the Cowboy Church. Amen? Amen. Special thanks to Pastor Mark inviting me to minister tonight. Uh, uh, it's just always good to be with you. And uh, if you're a guest with us tonight, uh, welcome to the uh, most exciting church in uh, uh, Montgomery County, you suppose? I think so. Amen. Well... You know, I shared with you a couple of months ago, we've been working on a, a new album uh, um, with the recording studio, and uh, here's a couple of uh, bluegrass tunes uh, for you tonight that uh, we've laid down. Uh, I think you'll probably know them. If you do and you want to sing them with me, that's always good uh, uh, for you to do that. And uh, so we'll do two or three numbers, and then we'll get to God's Word tonight and look at uh, Jesus' parable number four, the parable of the unleavened bread tonight. So, Brother Mike, if you'll turn the music on, let's do a sound check and see if they can hear us. Hello. There we go. Here's a good old Iris Stamphill song. I don't know about tomorrow. I just leave from day to day. I don't borrow from its sunshine, for the skies may turn to gray. My music's a little hot. I don't worry. Or the future. Why? Ah, because I know what my Jesus said. Ah, and today he's gonna walk beside me, for he knows what lies ahead. Oh, about tomorrow oh i don't see to understand oh but i know who holds my future yes i know I don't seem to understand. Aren't you glad, though? Now I know. 
Yes, I know who holds my future. Oh, I know who holds my hand. Amen. You like that song? You like that arrangement, Brother Tommy? That's a that's a great old Irish Stamp Hill song. Uh, you know, I uh, every time that that uh, Pastor Mark asked me to come and minister, and and I sing, uh, it seems like every time I come uh, uh, to worship, uh, someone corners me and says, "Oh, Doctor Dave, when you uh, come next time to preach, uh, sing this song for me again." Uh, so I don't know, Miss B, it may become the theme song of uh, my ministry here. What a great, great song, uh, Dottie Rambo. Uh, you know, I heard Vestal Goodman uh, share one time. She said, uh, the most prolific uh, woman songwriter since Fanny Crosby, uh, Dottie Rambo. And she's probably right. Uh, wow, wow, boy, that lady writes some powerful music. I think this is one of my favorites. Um, Seems like every time I sing it, I, I begin to weep. Uh, that's because it holds true for every one of us. She entitled it, He Looked Beyond My Faults and He Saw My Needs. And it doesn't matter where we came from tonight. If you were, uh, became a believer when you was four years old like I was, or if you were 54 or 104, he had to look beyond our faults to see the need that we had of him. We all needed a Savior, every one of us. We can't get to heaven without the cross, without the Savior. Worship with me tonight, would you? As I sing it, if you know it and you want to hum along or sing, go ahead. If you want to raise your hands and worship, that's fine too. I'll say it's our title song. He looked beyond my faults and saw my need. That music's real hot, brother. Mm, amazing grace. Will always be my song of praise For it was grace God's grace bought my liberty I do not know Just why he came to love me so Oh, but I'm glad He looked beyond my faults and He saw my need I shall forever lift my eyes to Calvary Brother, my music's a little hot. To view the cross where Jesus died for you and me. How marvelous the grace that caught my falling soul. Think about this. He looked beyond my faults 
and saw my need. How marvelous a grace that comes to Calvary. died for you and me. Think about this. How marvelous God's grace that caught my falling soul. He looked beyond my fault. Now think about this. Oh, how marvelous, how marvelous the grace that caught my falling soul. He looked beyond my faults. He looked beyond your faults. Somebody give praise to God for looking beyond our fault and seeing our needs. Wow, what a powerful song. He looked beyond our fault and saw our needs. Brother, go ahead. There's another little bluegrass tune that we laid the soundtrack to. It's only about 100 years old. It's an old Stamps Baxter song. Talks about, I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Brother, start our music here. How many of you know this song? There you go, Tommy. I thought you would. This is a great old song. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. And it goes like this. Oh, when I come to the river at Andy of day when the last winds of sorrow have blown ah there'll be somebody waiting to show me the way and I won't have to cross that Jordan alone I won't have to cross Jordan alone. I like this next part. Jesus died all my sins to atone. When the darkness I see, He'll be waiting for me, and I won't have to cross Jordan alone. sorrow and trouble may sweep Christ the Savior will care for his own 
till the end of the journey my soul he will keep and i won't have to cross jordan alone i won't have to cross jordan alone jesus died all my sins to atone when the darkness i see he waiting for me and i won't have to cross Jordan alone. One more time now. Oh, when the darkness I see, He'll be waiting for you and me. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. <laughs> Somehow, Pastor Mark, I thought the church might like a couple of those bluegrass numbers we're going to put on this new album. Well, I was going to finish with that, uh, Sister B, but as I was praying this afternoon, for some reason the Lord put this song in my heart to finish up the music part with tonight. It's another Dottie Rambo song. In fact, uh, I heard uh, Dottie Rambo interviewed on TBN uh, before her death uh, about 15 years ago, and and uh, Paul Crouch asked me, he said, Now, Dottie, he said, of all the songs you've written, and boy, she wrote some great ones. Uh, <laughs> Remind me, dear Lord, uh, um, you know, he looked beyond my fault. If that isn't love, uh, man, the list just goes on and on of songs she wrote. But he asked her, he said, of all the songs you ever wrote, he said, Dottie, what was your favorite? And she uh, said, well, she said, I didn't have a favorite. She said, I, I, they all were special in their own way. But she said, there was one song that uh, ministered to me more than any of the others I wrote. Uh, so she said, if there's one that stands out in my mind, it would be the song, In the Valley, He Restoreth My Soul. You know, I think that probably it ministered to her just like it does all of us uh, because one of the things that we soon learn in our Christian walk is that uh, when Noah came off of the ark, God made a covenant with him, and God said, Noah, as long as the earth remains, I'll not destroy the earth by flood. But then he went on and he said, as long as the earth remains, there will be a seed time and there'll be harvest. There'll be day and there'll be night. There'll be light and darkness. It is a scriptural principle of seed time and harvest. It wasn't something Oral Roberts thought up 50 years ago. God wrote it in his word 5,000 years ago. It's a scriptural principle. You will reap what you sow. If you reap good uh, or if you sow good seed in good soil, you will eventually reap good harvest. Now, I grew up on a farm in western Oklahoma, and so I understand that occasionally you have a drought or you'll have a crop failure, right? So sometimes uh, the, the sowing and reaping, uh, it doesn't guarantee that you're always going to have a hundredfold increase for the harvest. Sometimes uh, you have a crop failure and you have to go back and plant again in faith. But the reality is that 
there are seasons that God ordained, and there are seasons in our walk with Him. There are times when we uh, uh, are excited, we're exuberant, where everything's going great, and, and uh, we're on top of the mountain, right? And there are also seasons of hot, drought, summer that are just crummy. It just <laughs> seems like we can't uh, get uh, outside of the room we're praying in. Uh, it, it just seems like that uh, uh, there's a cap on, on our prayers. You know, the, the classical fathers called it the dark night of the soul. And it's a, it's a valley that we go through. And, you know, sometimes we get it confused. We think if we're going through sickness or disease or tragedy, that that's a valley that God sent us. And, and it, it could be, but typically that's not. Typically, the valleys we go through are valleys of spiritual growth, okay? And they are, they are times when we have to walk in faith, and we have to know that um, nothing grows up on top of a mountain, okay? But it's in the valley that God restores our soul. What a powerful, powerful song. I don't know who this is for tonight, but if you're here tonight and you're going through a valley in your spiritual journey right now, I gave my heart to the Lord. I was four years old, and, and I just turned 59. And um, I understand uh, valleys and mountains. And um, I, I know that some of you are going through a valley. And if you are, then as I share this tonight, just reach out to God and just talk to Him about it. Just, uh, ju just visit with Him. Let the Holy Spirit just settle down in your spirit and Began to, to minister to you where you're at, right? Um, now listen, I know the NFL started tonight, okay? But if you really were interested in watching football, you wouldn't be here right now. You're interested in being here because you need God to touch you. You need His Holy Spirit to touch your spirit and minister to you. And I believe God uh, put this in my spirit today for someone, so whoever it is. Here's that Dottie Rambo song that God sent your way. It's entitled, In the Valley, He Restoreth My Soul. When I'm low in spirit, I cry, Lord, lift me up. I want to go higher with Thee, but the Lord knows I can't live on the mountain, so He picked out a valley for soul 
the dungeon and the sun seldom shines and I question Lord why must this be oh but then he tells me there's strength in my trials oh and there's victory in trials for me he leads me beside still waters somewhere in the valley below to be tested and tried but in the valley he restoreth my soul oh now he draws you aside you are tested and you're tried but friend in the valley valley in the valley he will restore your soul amen 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 father god Tonight, we just come to you, and I just ask that those that are in a valley right now, a season, a season when it just seems like that uh, uh, it's dry, that right now your Holy Spirit would supernaturally touch them with encouragement and strength. Let the anointing of God's Holy Spirit just move on their life right now. Restore them, Father. Lift them up and encourage them. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother, if you'll turn my lapel mic on. Well, it's always a joy to be in the cowboy church. If I can get a couple of ushers to come pass out a few sermon notes, we need to open God's Word for a little bit tonight, see what He would have to say to us. Well, that back is making enough noise for <laughs> a whole army. Amen. Let's see here. As always, uh, let's see. Let me... Uh, let me give away a couple of books while they're passing sermon notes out, and then uh, I'll uh, share a couple other things. Uh, I've got a great book by K. Arthur. How many of you have ever read any of K. Arthur's stuff? Anyone? Oh, come on, ladies. You just finished the ladies' revival. Yeah. K. Arthur is, uh, uh, boy, she and Joyce Meyer are probably the two... Uh, 
uh, leading uh, lady authors in uh, evangelical Christianity right now. And Anyway, uh, this book is A Marriage Without Regrets, and uh, it talks about God's plan for your marriage tonight. Uh, who would like this book tonight? Quickly, come up here. Heather, I see you reaching, so come on. I'm sorry. Oh, Linda, you... All right. Well, praise the Lord. Let's see. I've got, a, I've got another book uh, that I want to share tonight. Uh, it's a Norman Vincent Peale book and Kenneth Blanchard. Kenneth Blanchard uh, is uh, uh, well known for his books, uh, Who Moved My Cheese and uh, The One Minute Manager and uh, The One Minute Apology and on and on. Uh, uh, the name of the book is The Power of Ethical Management. Uh, if you're a leader in business, uh, this is a book you need. Uh, it's not a new book. He published this some 30 years ago, but boy, is it good. Um, someone help me out. Who would like this tonight? The Power of Ethical Management. Uh, I see a hand. Come on up here. I can't see that far back. I'm too old, but uh, whoever it was. Let's see. I've got one more. <laughs> this is a parable. Uh, Believe it or not, it's entitled uh, Juggling Elephants, and it's about how to uh, get things done and prioritize your schedule and your day for people whose calendar is so full that uh, you can't get everything done in a day. Sister Linda, it's yours right there. Okay. Amen. You're welcome. Amen. Oh, brother, stay up here, Carl. We're going to... Let's see. I... For those of you uh, who, who might have, uh, how many of you tonight's the first time you've uh, heard me sing or seen me here? A few of you. I have uh, some CDs with me tonight. They are a gift to you if you'd like one. Uh, brother, let me see if I've got any more before I fall off this platform. Thank you. If someone would like a CD, they, they're welcome. And finally... How many of you get my daily emails, my mom's moments of meditation? Raise your hand. Okay. Someone holler real loud if you've been blessed, if God has used it to touch you one day for some way. All right. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, that mailing list is several hundred now, and God has really used it to minister to people uh, supernaturally. It's not anything I've done, but, um, you know, it's... To be candid with you, um, it's, a, it's a reflection of what people have poured into me, what people have invested into me, I give back. Anyway, if you are not on my daily email list uh, and would like to be, I have Brother Tommy, come help me. Raise your hand real high if you are not on my email list. Brother Tommy, go down each row and give those cards out. And then when you get to the back, Brother Tommy, turn around and pick them up on your way back up here, if you would, please. And uh, put your name and, and your email address, and I'll be more than happy to put you on my, my uh, mom's moments of meditation and my on the bright side column. Um, love, to, love to minister to you in that way. Okay. Wow. Okay, good. Lots of folks uh, new tonight. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Well, praise the Lord. 
For those of you doing the email list, please continue and give those to Brother Tommy as she's coming back up. The rest of you, if you would, pull out your sermon notes. We are on Jesus' parable number four tonight, the parable of the unleavened bread. And it's uh, recorded, and because that doesn't have enough room, I'm going to set my Bible over here for now, but it's recorded in Matthew chapter 13. Now, by the way, for those of you who have, uh, are new joining us, uh, I began this series uh, a few months ago uh, on Sunday evenings when Pastor Mark uh, uh, asked me to minister. Uh, I am going through and preaching the 32 parables that Jesus taught um, uh, to, uh, to us in, in modern language, if you will. Jesus, we are told in Matthew 13, spoke all these things to the crowd, how? In parables. He didn't say anything to them without using a parable, Matthew 13, 34. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with what a parable is, a parable is simply an illustration that takes something you're familiar with and teaches you a spiritual truth that you're unfamiliar with by using that illustration. And Jesus taught primarily through the use of parables. Now, we are covering the 32 parables of Jesus, and the, they are divided up, and you'll see on uh, your sermon notes, um, the first eight of those parables are about the kingdom of God. The first seven of them are all seven recorded in Matthew chapter 13. Now, before we get to tonight's parable of the unleavened bread, though, we need to turn our sermon notes over and we need to, uh, to lay a context or lay a foundation on the parable itself by looking at unleavened bread. Unleavened bread. You know, it's interesting, sometimes uh, I think that we, we uh, short shift the scriptures when as a, as a New Testament church, we, we focus so much on just the New Testament. But the reality of our faith is that the Old Testament is part of our faith package too. And the Old Testament is a forerunner of the new covenant we're in today under uh, the Lord. Okay? And in the Old Testament, we, we find uh, uh, issues that are shadows of the New Testament. And the Jewish uh, uh, sacred year is one of those uh, harbingers of things to come in the New Testament. Now, in your sermon notes, you'll find this recorded, and this is just a little Bible lesson before we get to the sermon tonight you will find this in Leviticus chapter 23. So at the top of the, of the sermon notes, it says the Jewish feast highlight Leviticus chapter 23 so that you can go back later and you can uh, study Leviticus 23 and uh, get a context for what I'm sharing with you tonight. In the Old Testament, they used what was called a Jewish calendar. And by the way, the Jewish nation 
still uses a Jewish calendar. It, it is also interesting, I'm going to put in a political plug here. It's also interesting that um, uh, even today the nation of Israel is God's chosen race. Whether the politicians want to accept it, whether the liberals want to accept it or not, Israel is God's chosen and countries that bless Israel and pray for the peace and prosperity of Jerusalem like we're told to do are blessed of God. And, and people and nations that curse the nation of Israel are cursed by God. It's a scriptural principle. Okay, It's in the scriptures. So, you know, right now uh, we need to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem. We need to be standing with God's chosen people as a nation and saying, we're behind you, Israel, because God has ordained you. Well, the Jewish uh, calendar uh, is on the left side of these sermon notes. And it begins with the month of Abed. And the month of Abed on the Jewish calendar, Pastor Richard, is equivalent to our March and April on the Julian calendar. Now, the Julian calendar was a calendar that that uh, Julius Caesar, the Roman emperor, uh, uh, approved back around the time that Jesus was born, okay? It's called the Julian calendar, and that's a calendar we use today. The Jewish calendar has, has uh, uh, the same months, but they're named differently, and it is based on the cycles of the moon, while the Julian calendar is based on the cycles of the sun, Okay? And so that's the difference. Now, on the Jewish calendar, where I'm headed with this, is that Leviticus chapter 23 gives us seven sacred feasts that are ordained by God in the Jewish calendar that God ordained His children to keep, okay? On your sermon notes, they are listed as special days. Seven feasts ordained. The first feast is the Passover, which would begin on Abed the 14th of each year. Now you'll recall, and this is the first feast that God ordained, you'll recall it began in Egypt with the passing of the death angel and the children of Israel putting blood on their doorposts so the death angel would see the blood and pass over them. It was the Passover. The Passover is a celebration of redemption. And it harbingers or foretells us, foreshadows what in the New Testament? Jesus. So the Passover in the Old Testament to us is our Redeemer Christ on the cross. The next day it began the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that's where we're headed with tonight's parable. The Feast of Unleavened Bread began the day after Passover and lasted for seven days. It began on the 15th day of the month of Abed and it was signified by the blood on the doorpost. And it was a time of unleavened bread whereby God said, I want you to avoid sin. Now here's where I'm headed with this. Leaven or yeast in the scriptures is always associated with evil or sin. Okay? Always. There's no exception that we find in the scriptures where yeast or leaven is mentioned that it's not affiliated or associated with sin. If you, today, if you would say, well, what is a harbinger of? 
How many of you have ever heard of Lent? How many of you celebrate Lent? Lent is the feast of the unleavened bread. It is a time when we avoid sin to be in tune with God. Now, for those of you uh, ladies who are cooks in the kitchen, we might call unleavened bread what today? Sourdough bread, right? Uh, you ladies know you take a little piece, Miss B, and you set it up on the cupboard shelf, and, and the next day you pull it down and you bake another uh, batch of bread and you tear off a piece and put your starter back up there, okay? It is, this would be what the children of Israel would have done. They would have mixed up the milk and the sugar and the ingredients into the yeast. It would have fermented and that would be uh, sourdough bread they used. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, God said, don't use the milk that's been soured. Why? It's indicative of evil, right? So don't use it. This week you are to be clean of sin the week of the Feast of Unleavened Bread with the Passover. Now, by the way, what's the harbinger of the New Testament? Communion. When we partake of communion in, in the Protestant faith, uh, what do we partake of? The bread is unleavened bread. Why? Because it is free of what? Yeast or leaven, which is evil, right? Communion is a recognition of sin being washed out by the blood of Jesus. And so when we partake of communion, we use unleavened bread. Now, you know, we, we uh, holiness folks, we've substituted saltine crackers, and that's okay. I won't go against that. Uh, yeah, that's my heritage. I used them my whole life, okay? However, the, the uh, scriptural mandate is unleavened bread for the Passover feast or for communion. Now, as you go through the sacred feast in the Jewish calendar, you'll notice that Passover is seven weeks, seven Sabbath days plus one, 50 days, right? Passover feast is 50 days. How long is Lent? 50 days. And what comes at the end of, of the Passover feast in the New Testament? It's a harbinger of what? Jesus was what? Crucified and then he was resurrected and then 50 days later he what ascended to heaven and the resurrect or the uh, resurrection into heaven the ascension into heaven marks the beginning of the new testament church and the day of pentecost and the day of pentecost is 50 days of atonement okay and back to the old testament on the feast of the unleavened bread they took a sheath of grain and they waved and made a wave offering before God. And at the end of the unleavened feast, they took what and waved it before God? A loaf of bread, signifying that the individual stalks or the sheath had become what? One loaf, signifying that when Christ was crucified, He was crucified for you individually when the day of Pentecost came and the, and the uh, uh, Holy Spirit fell on the upper room, they no longer were individuals, but now what had been birthed? The New Testament church. Okay? Again, if you don't believe that the Bible is God's inspired word, you haven't examined the Old Testament in comparison to the New Testament today. You want to know why I believe the Bible is God's word? Because it all matches. These are thousands, hundreds of years apart. And these things all fit together and dovetail, right? Amen. So, 
I, I shared all of that to get us to this. When Jesus teaches a parable of the yeast or the unleavened bread in Matthew 13, the disciples that he was sharing and the people he was sharing, they immediately knew what he meant by leaven, didn't they? Because it was built into their culture. Okay? Now let's look at the parable itself. Turn with me tonight if you have your Bibles. Matthew chapter 13. As you're turning, let me remind you that, uh, in fact, turn over uh, from Matthew, mark that, and turn over to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Let me remind you tonight that if we are to reach our community for Jesus, we might have learned the truth found in the word gospel. Remind me, what does the word gospel mean? How is it defined? Good news. The gospel is good news. Look with me to Romans chapter 1 verse 16. If you have a living Bible tonight, it would say this, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. King James would say the gospel. If you have an amplified Bible, the amplified Bible takes the two of them and put it, puts them together and says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, parentheses, good news, Tommy, in parentheses, of Christ. For it is Jesus' power. The gospel is good news because it's power to live a successful life here on earth. When Jesus was on earth preaching, he attracted huge crowds and he amazed those crowds with the declarations of good news that he shared. He emphasized meeting people's needs and healing people's hurts. How many of you know it is a truth that when someone has good news happen in their life, they always want to tell someone about it, don't they? It's true. How many of you have had someone come up lately with a picture of a new grandbaby and say, Hey, have I showed you this picture of my new grandbaby? How many of you know if you won the Powerball lottery, Pastor Marcus expects 10%, but how many of you know if you won that Powerball lottery, you're going to go to work the next day and tell everyone you know, I'm the winner. No, you're not. You're going to stay home and say, I'm not going to work anymore. But you see... We, in, we naturally share good news, don't we? And Jesus had good news to tell the people. He had a message that, that set people free. And it's that same message that reaches the world today. You know, it's interesting. The liberal media just absolutely goes to town on the Christian church because of our st stance on uh, women's rights. But you know, Jesus preached a radical declaration of women mattering to God because in that culture they didn't matter as much as a dog did. But Jesus said they matter to God. The down and the out, the people who had nothing. Okay, The culture said they're worth nothing, they have nothing. Jesus said they matter to God because they're created in His image and they are in the likeness of God. The liberal media likes to portray Christianity as being anti-women's rights, but it's not. Jesus declared equal rights to all mankind, women, men, uh, down and out, wealthy, it didn't matter to Him. There is no black or red or white in God's eyes. It's what? It's Jesus Christ, the Redeemer for mankind. 
So the message that we've got to preach today is still the same message. The methodology's changed, but the message is still the same. Because people that you meet every day are having the same desires that they had when Jesus was on earth. They're seeking forgiveness in their life. How many of you know, don't raise your hand, but how many of you know someone you work with that lives under a cloud of guilt in their life? Okay? They're looking for something that gives them forgiveness of all the mistakes they've made in the past. They're looking for freedom in their life. They're looking for security. There is no security in humankind, is there? None at all. The Bible says your life today is but a vapor. It's here and it's gone. But we didn't even need to read it in the Bible to know that. We just instinctively know that no one's guaranteed one instant more than right now, do we? There's no security on this earth. I read something interesting the other day on uh, the news. Uh, uh, in the news, it was an article about uh, wealthy athletes who now are bankrupt. How many of you know that wealth in this world in no way uh, guarantees you anything? Nothing. How many of you know someone just like the people Jesus was ministering to that was searching frantically for a purpose in their life? Searching frantically for love and acceptance, for strength in their life. You see, the needs of people haven't changed. The gospel is the same now as it was when Jesus was on earth. It has to settle our past, it has to assure us of our future, and it has to affirm the meaning of our life for today, right? I share that every time I share this message. The gospel must settle our past assure us of our future, and affirm our meaning for today. Crowds always flocked to Jesus because He taught good news. Likewise, the church that's in the good news business is going to be a church that's reaching sinners because sinners lost, or lost sinners matter to God. Now the parable we're looking at tonight is Matthew 13, 33. And it reads like this from the Living Bible. The kingdom of heaven, now that's a key phrase in here we need to highlight. The kingdom of heaven. Okay, what's the kingdom of heaven today? The church, right? The kingdom of heaven, Jesus is speaking about here, is what? The church. The church, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a woman making bread. She takes a measure of flour. Now, by the way, just for information's sake, a measure of flour would be about the size of a quart jar. So she takes a quart of flour and mixes in the yeast or leaven until it permeates every part of the dough. So the measure that she takes here, and by the way, if you're reading in the in the King James, it says three measures of flour, okay? So she takes three measures or three quarts of flour and makes what? A loaf of bread. And the yeast or the leaven permeates every part of it that she makes. Now, the clues to good news, which is the title of this series of messages, is not so evident in this parable as others because 
This is the shortest parable that we have recorded. By the way, the first seven parables are all recorded in Matthew 13. And uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the only three Gospels that record parables. John doesn't record any parables for some reason. Um, but uh, the first seven parables, Matthew all put in chapter 13. Okay? So the clues to, this, to the good news here are a little bit va more vague than the others that we've looked at. Now, we've got to go back and remember that the leaven is always associated with what? Sin. Okay? Always. So when leaven is mentioned here in this parable, and it says the kingdom of heaven or the church is like a woman with the leaven, and it permeates everything, then we need to look and say, okay, then what is Jesus saying? He is saying that within the church, there evidently is an evil that we need to watch out for. Within the church, okay, we're not perfect, we're not resurrected. Within the church, there is a sin that he was warning them of. Now, what is that sin? Well, we need to go back to the scriptures to see if we can determine what Jesus was talking about here in these three courts or three measures of flour of sin in the church. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, verse 12. Matthew 16, verse 12. Matthew 16, 12 says this, Then at last they understood that by yeast or leaven, Jesus meant the wrong teaching of the, para, or of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Bingo. There's two of our measures of flour, aren't they? Here's two of the evils in the church that Jesus was pointing out. Okay? The wrong teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now turn on over to the next book in your Bible, Mark chapter 8, verse 15. Mark 8, 15. Here we go. As they were crossing the disciples, Jesus said to them very solemnly, What? Beware of the yeast or leaven of King Herod and the Pharisees, the Herodians, followers of King Herod. Walla, how many false teachings here do we see Jesus warning the disciples in the church of? The wrong three of them. And in the parable said there were three measures of flour and Jesus identified three evils for his uh, church to watch out for. The evil teaching of the Pharisees, the evil teaching of the Sadducees, and the evil teaching of the Herodians, the followers of King Herod. So tonight on your sermon notes, there's your leaven number one, number two, and number three. The leaven number one is the Pharisees. Leaven number two is the Sadducees. And leaven number three are the Herodians. Now let's take ten minutes and let's look at what he was talking about in each one of these evils. And as we look at what Jesus was teaching... It's also time that we allow the Holy Spirit to look in our hearts and to see which one of these 
leavens that we might be participating in today's church and how we need to take the words Jesus spoke to His disciples and early church and apply them to our life and our church today. Okay? By the way, this is one of the few teachings that Jesus ever did on what was wrong, what was evil. John the Baptist did what? He said, you generation of vipers, you sinners, repent. Jesus didn't teach that way. What did Jesus say? He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is about as close as we have uh, of Jesus teaching about evil and sin. So, we need to pay close attention, Bobby, to the words of Jesus here about sin in today's church, right? Here we go. Leaven number one. The Pharisees. What was the evil of the Pharisees? Well, the evil of the Pharisees was that they focused on externals, didn't they? They, they focused on the showy part of their Christianity instead of the inward love of their heart they had for God. They were all about show. Do you remember when Jesus went to the temple, Sister Penny, and, and uh, the uh, disciples were there, and there was a Pharisee there praying, and then there was an old uh, rotten sinner over here. And the rotten sinner said, God forgive me, I'm a sinner. And the Pharisee said what? Thank you, God, that I'm better than he is. I am so holy. I, I wear all of my garb and, and uh, all of my dress, and, and I am holy. You see, the evil of the Pharisees is that they focus on the external parts of their faith and not on the inward part that God desires of. The Old Testament, do you remember, and we have this recorded in three different places in the Old Testament, where God told people, He said, I desire obedience more than I do what? Huh? Sacrifice. In other words, the law is important, but rather than the law, I want what? Obedience. I want your heart. Jesus said, love the Lord thy God with what? All of your heart, your mind, and your soul. He didn't say, love the Lord God by avoiding this, and don't do this, you sinner. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul. The Pharisees were focused on the externals. They liked to show off how religious they were. They were legalistic, condemning, ugly, proud, arrogant, so on. None of us fall into that trap, do we? Of course we do. Of course we do. You know, it's interesting, and, and I'm going to step on your toes a little bit, you know, we, we value our freedom of worship in the cowboy church and in Pentecostal churches and in fundamental churches. We value that freedom to the point that, you know, we look at uh, some of the liturgical churches of the Catholics and the Lutherans and the Episcopalians and we say, oh my God, look at those traditions they have. How could they ever think that's right to do? And we don't ever look at our traditions. But you know, we all have traditions. It's just, what are they? But we all have traditions. You do, I do, they do, everyone does. Our traditions can become as legalistic and dogmatic as theirs can. We can get so wrapped up in our freedom that we become bound by it. Abortion. Does it ever make you just cringe when you see abortion protesters standing out and 
and yelling and screaming at women going in abortion clinics and holding up signs that, that just say an ugly, confrontational, abrasive message. Do you think Jesus would do that? I don't either. Now, do we all value life? Amen. Can I hear an amen on that? We all value life. But you know, I heard Rick Warren say the other day, and boy, I like this. He said this. He said, you are never persuasive when you're abrasive. Boy, is that good. Homosexuality, same way, same way. We condemn people for being homosexuals rather than what? Speak out against the sin. Is homosexuality a sin? Yes. But the homosexual is created by God and we're to reach out to them in love. The Pharisees focused on externals and I'm telling you church, we have to be very careful we don't fall in the same evil trap of focusing on externals. Can I hear an amen? The good news is that Jesus brought is that God did, does not focus on our actions but on our heart. He doesn't care how we look. He cares what? How our heart is. When we ask the greatest teaching, Jesus said what? He didn't say don't do this or don't do that. He said love your God with all of your heart, mind and soul. Leaven number two, the Sadducee. The Sadducees. Any Sadducees in here tonight? Well, before you uh, smugly sit there and say, not me, preacher. Let me tell you a thing or two about Sadducees. The Sadducees were the scientific folk of the day, okay? The Sadducees did not believe in the supernatural at all. The Sadducees did not believe in life after death. They believed in nothing except what they could see, feel, or touch, okay? The five senses, they were scientific, if you will. Does that describe any of you tonight? Do we believe in miracles in our life? Do we believe in healing, being active in our life? Do we believe in the supernatural or do we have struggle determining whether there really is a heaven and a hell? When it's time, get your feet up off the floor if your toes are already sore. When it's time for the church to stand up in faith and your leaders say, we need to step out and make a missions pledge of this much, do you step out in faith or do you say, well, hold it. We can only pledge what we see is coming in. We can only pledge what we have on a card that we know we'll get. Whenever it's time to build a new place of worship, the pastor says, who will stand with me? Do we stand in faith? Do we have the eyes of faith or do we stand up and say, well, preacher, I don't see how we can possibly do it with the congregation we've got. That's the Sadducees for you. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I heard a, a minister talking recently about the Duck Dynasty on TV and, how, and he was talking about how he liked watching those guys because they stand up for Jesus, and they do. But now, they, they are active in the church of Christ and I'm not picking on the church of Christ but the church of Christ does not believe in the supernatural for today do they they believe in Jesus why because Jesus walked on earth they say if it wasn't in the New Testament we don't believe it 
That's the way the Sadducees taught it, guys. The Bible is full of examples of people who experience the supernatural and supernatural perceptions. I remember growing up, we used to hear people ask the question, well, is there such a thing as ESP, extrasensory perception? And the church would say, no, it's of Satan. But the reality is that God does supernaturally at times open up heaven and let us see things in the supernatural. I was really touched by the movie that heaven is for real. If you haven't seen it, you should. It'll, it'll, just, it'll just move your heart. It's just a grand story. But you know, there are thousands. It got me interested, and I have been reading books right now by the dozen on, super, on uh, um, uh, near-death experiences. And uh, for those of you who get my faith nugget, here in a few months we're going to be looking at a lot of those books because uh, there are people that, that, that leave this earth in their earthly body here, their spirit will go to heaven, and then God sends them back to their body for some reason. How many of you have ever taken a little oscillating fan at home and looked at it when it's turned off? And then, Brother Rayford, being an electrician, you turn that fan on and those blades start spinning. And when they get up a, to a, a high rate of speed, you look at that fan and you can't see the blades, can you? They're invisible. Why? Because they're in a different realm. You remember Elisha was in the city and the Syrian army was all around him. And his servant came and said, Oh, prophet, we're going to die. And Elisha said, God, show him what I see. And God opened his servant's eyes and he saw a band of guardian angels around the prophet in the city of God that the servant couldn't see, but Elisha could. Friend, I'm telling you, there is a whole different dimension to the world than what you experience every day that you touch, feel, or see. There is a dimension of spirituality that God is reaching out to us. And as a church, he's saying, step out in faith of the supernatural. And not what you can just see. Well, I'm out of time. Let's do number three. The third leaven tonight was the leaven of the Herodians, the followers of Herod, okay? King Herod. Now, this one is pretty self-explanatory, I think, Heather, because King Herod was known in history as a man who was the ultimate hedonist. If it felt good, he did it. If he wanted it, he did it. He massacred his own children because he didn't want his boys growing up to take his throne, okay? I mean, this is a man who married his son's daughter into the, into the uh, uh, kingdom because he wanted her, so he took her, and he murdered his son to get her. The Herodians are those people who are having fun and partying right now. Hedonists, they live for today. If it feels good, do it. Worldliness. They put the things of this world before the things of God. You ought to write that down as I'm getting toward the close here tonight because that's powerful. They put the things of this world before the things of God. Pastor Mark, it's called priorities. It's called priorities. Guys, priorities determine our actions. Paul J. Meyer, a friend of mine from over in Waco, has a book, uh, Unlocking Your Legacy. I've passed out dozens and dozens of these over the years. I want to read a little quip here of his, right quick. 
If I can open the book up. About priorities. Our priorities determine our action. Listen to this. It's only two sentences long. Isn't it amazing that when you get a new book you've been dying to read or a new movie comes out that you can't wait to see, you suddenly find the time to read it or see it. The reason is, now listen closely, your time is subservient to your priority. Whatever you choose to do, you'll make the time to do. Your actions are determined by your priorities. Get your feet off the floor. Here we go again, Brother Lyle. Okay? Brother Lyle, what would our bank accounts say about our priorities in life? Yeah. Yeah. Think about it. What would your bank account say about your priorities? Huh? Robert Letourneau, uh, a wealthy philanthropist, uh, East Texas, of course, Longview is uh, uh, Letourneau University, and of course he made huge earth-moving equipment. He, uh, uh, I heard him speak years and years ago, and he was sharing that his company gives 90% of its profits to the Lord. What are you giving to God? What does your calendar if you had your calendar and opened it up tonight and looked at it, what would your calendar, your time schedule, say about your priorities? Are you a follower of King Herod or a follower of Jesus? What do the relationships that you have in your life, what do they say about your priorities? Let me ask you this as we close up leaven number three. Are you living for eternity or living for today? Are you just living for today or are you living for eternity? You remember that old, uh, you're too young to, some of you will, Brother Tommy will, that old Happy Goodman song, I wouldn't take nothing for my journey now? Could you sing that if you had to? I wouldn't take nothing for my journey now, no matter what. I wouldn't turn around for anything. Can you say that tonight? You see, the good news tonight is simply this. God has a plan for you and He has a plan for His church. Tonight, as we have looked at the words of Jesus, I'm going to ask you if any of the words Jesus shared touched your heart where you're at. Are any of these leavens, these yeasts that Jesus warned the church about, do they describe you? Do you need to go back to the Lord and tonight say, Lord, straighten out my priorities. Get my heart right with you, not my show, but my heart. Let me believe, be a man of faith. Let my priorities show that I'm living for eternity. What about it, guys? Billy Graham said, whatever you do, don't be a half a Christian. He said, the world has got too many half a Christians. He said, the world is looking for people who have a passion for the Lord.
So I finish up with the question, where's your passion tonight? Father, thank you for your word. The words that you spoke 2,000 years ago are so active and so true and so cutting to us today. Father, help us to just open our heart up and let your Holy Spirit touch our life with the truth of the parable of the unleavened bread tonight. Father, as we take a moment of just quiet prayer before you, speak to our hearts about our priorities and what we're living for. And now, Father, thank you for being in this house tonight. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. Pastor Mark.